This episode of Open Out, the first in our Considering series, was written and produced before we felt the full impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Before the houses of worship were shuttered and the communities of faith began finding new ways to connect for prayer, for worship, mutual support. It may well be that life will be significantly different when this crisis has passed and we can leave our homes and unlock our faith buildings. Perhaps we will instinctively want to open ourselves outward to welcome all who, like us, stumble and soar, love and disappoint, hope and pray. If so, I hope this episode and the other Open Out podcasts can help. And if instead in that day our fear, our trauma causes us initially to seek safety, familiarity, the security of sameness, then I hope these podcasts can remind us that comfort through exclusion is not a place that people of faith can abide for long. The impulse of the gospel of hospitality is too strong. And so perhaps these podcasts can help us as we reemerge to open ourselves outward once again. Though this is an odd and painful moment, sometimes there are blessings hidden inside these kind of moments, and we may come out of here better and deeper and stronger as a result. May it be so. Here is episode four, the first in our Considering series, What Might We Look Like? Welcome to Open Out, a podcast series about creating and participating in intercultural faith communities. In these episodes, we focus on the practical, the nitty-gritty side of opening our faith communities to welcome everyone. In our changing cultural landscape of Canada, however, that often means welcoming folk who have different cultural backgrounds, different names, different accents, different hues. My name is Bill Miller, and through a grant from the United Church Foundation, I've had the opportunity to research and develop this series. Before this, I was pastor of Knox United in Winnipeg for 14 years, a faith community that over that period utterly transformed itself to become one of the most culturally diverse intercultural churches in North America. Part of the research involved trying to understand why this transformation worked there when it so often doesn't. This is the first podcast in our series called Considering. In the last series, called Curious, we looked first at some of the possibilities for church communities who are curious about opening themselves to those who are new, those who are different, and then at some of the reasons why a community might want to go that route. One reason is because Canada itself is changing. The cultural makeup, the demographics of our country is being transformed in real time. Another reason might be necessity. We looked at the church demographics and change, including the seemingly unrelenting pattern of decline in membership that is affecting so many of our churches. And then we were faced with that question. What if we really have only two choices? To embrace this new reality, allowing and encouraging our churches to morph into new intercultural communities, or become a kind of Anglo hideout, hold on as long as we can, last refuge of the once-dominant colonialists. What do we do? While current realities often seem more pressing to us, underneath all of this is a deep understanding that really this is what faith is all about. We think of Jesus' radical inclusivity 
And we remember the words from the book of Hebrews, let your Philadelphia, love for brothers and sisters, continue through your philia xenias, love for the stranger. For by doing so, some have entertained angels unaware. This next series is designed for those a bit more than simply curious, and so it digs a bit deeper, looks more specifically at possibilities, explores how we can change, how we can, in a sense, reboot our brains in order to open our hearts and lives. In this episode, we follow up on the themes in Curious Episode 1 and explore what we really could look like, be like, if we changed. This episode looks specifically at faith communities. If you are part of one, have been, or would like to be, this may be of special interest to you. Even if you're not, however, there is likely to be some thoughts you find helpful, especially in the final section on the levels of welcome. I was driving the other day, and CBC was a bit boring, so I started scanning other radio stations. I came across Charles Adler, a guy I've always assumed to be a kind of Canadian Rush Limbaugh, slightly politer, a bit more moderate, but basically cut from the same cloth. He was talking about homosexuality, so I immediately got prepared to wince, but no wince came. Instead, he was talking to some conservative politician, challenging him on the ambiguous stance of the Conservative Party of Canada on LGBTQ issues, taking him and them to task about not being more open and welcoming. He almost always voted conservative, he said, because he always thought of them as business-friendly. Then he added, I don't understand why you would intentionally exclude a large number of voters. Maybe it's because I have a small business background and I see it from a business perspective. I don't understand why anyone would exclude a large group of potential customers. It just doesn't make business sense to me. I've since learned that Adler is more nuanced than I'd assumed. But as I listened, I immediately thought of the church, my church. Why would they, why would we intentionally exclude such a large and growing segment of the Canadian population? Why wouldn't we immediately and intentionally open out to welcome all cultures? Let's go back and pick up on some of the themes from the last series for a minute. Let's do a bit of imagining. In this imagining, you're on the leadership group, the board, or whatever your church calls it. Now imagine your church is in a Canadian community called Richmond. Turns out there are quite a few Richmonds in Canada. Anyways, first stop is NBC. And your church is in Richmond, a suburb of Vancouver, near the airport. At one time, a mix of farms and an old fishing village. You've only been a city for 30 years, so there's lots of new development. Today, 60% of your people are direct immigrants. 60%. Almost entirely Asian, mostly Chinese. 77% of your citizens are visible minority. Only 23%, that's less than one in four, are not visible minority. On average, your church gets about 25 to 30 people attending, although the church itself seats 300. They're mostly older white folk, except for Mr. and Mrs. O, a a retired Chinese couple who moved here about 20 years ago. They sold their home in Vancouver and moved to a gated condo on General Curry. It's a nice community, good people. That's why you joined the visioning team. You know if something doesn't change, 
Your church, this church you love, will have to close in a few years. Where do you start? What are your options? Next, imagine you're in Richmond Hill, Ontario, part of the GTA. Just keep heading up Young Street. In the 1970s, you had among the highest property values in Canada. It's still pretty affluent, but as you can see, the community has been changing. Today, 57% of the population are direct immigrants, and 60% are visible minority. That's up from 46% just 10 years ago. Your church has been struggling. You haven't attracted any new members lately, really, even though you've got one of the top organists in the region. And you've still got a good choir of about 20 people, all very loyal to the organist. All the choir and most of the congregation are white. The reserve funds are dwindling, like the congregation. And you need to somehow renew this church. What would you do? How could you do something different, something new? What would you suggest? Or perhaps you're from a church in Richmond West in South Winnipeg. The Anglican Church there decided to bunk in permanently with the United. And the Lutherans, well, they're struggling as well. Over the last couple of decades, the population has been changing with large numbers of Koreans and South Asians moving in. Today, 49% are visible minority and 37% are direct immigrants. You are one of the lay leaders in the Anglican Church, or the United, or the Lutheran. If you wanted to intentionally open your church to fully welcome your neighbors into your lives, into your community, what might your church look like? There's still plenty more Richmonds across the country, but let's just pick one. Richmond County in Nova Scotia, tucked in at the bottom of Cape Breton Island. Oh, your history goes way back. Your church has been struggling too, though. You don't have a large immigrant population or, or any large visible minority groups. However, and this might surprise you, about 10% of your neighbors are indigenous and 25% are French-speaking. What are your possibilities? Of course, you might well not live in a place called Richmond. But just think for a sec. Has your neighborhood been changing? What about your faith community? Has it been changing? These stories were basically of white churches. But of course, it's not just traditional white churches that face these challenges. Montreal's Japanese United is a good example. In the early 2000s, they realized that the members of their church were getting elderly. Well, actually, there's only 12 active members. And of that, the youngest of the men are 84. And I'm 80. So they opened their door to welcome their neighbors. Among them were many Filipinos. So when the Japanese church needed a new minister, they called Molly Mangana, a Filipino. In addition, a large Pakistani group were welcomed. They began attending and brought with them their passionate, poignant music. Seeing people coming together as one from different cultures, see different colors, and I would say that this is uh, the design of God for all of us, to come together as one without discrimination. Today, Montreal's Japanese United Church, too, are a rainbow congregation, now led by a Korean pastor. Their story is not dissimilar to Knox's, but decolonization was not their challenge. This was one minority culture, 
monocultural, what the United Church called an ethnic ministry, opening itself to welcome other minority cultures. So then, what are some common elements in these changes in congregations? Intention is one, of course, being intentional about opening. But there's something else, something more. It might even be a kind of precondition. Over the years, due to familiarity and love, attentiveness, church members often come to think of the church as theirs. This is my church, our church. Creating a sense of collective shared responsibility is important, but not ownership. Church is not private property. It was never meant to be a club belonging to its current members. In faith language, we can remind each other that the church belongs to God and therefore to everyone God wants to invite. Another way to get at this might be to say that the church belongs as much to the city, the neighborhood, the village, as it does to its members. That was part of the early reimagining for us at Knox. Knox itself is a magnificent Gothic revivalist-style cathedral-like building in the Central Park neighborhood of Winnipeg. Central Park itself is directly across from the church, and it was created at the same time as the church. For over 100 years, their stories intertwined. Then, as Knox opened itself, one of the first initiatives started by folk in the community was an African-style market in the park on Saturdays. And with that, we began to think of the connection between the park and the church in a way something like a cathedral and piazza in Europe and elsewhere. We kind of looked like a cathedral. And the park was functioning like a piazza, so we started to use that language. Well, if we are a cathedral, then let's be the best cathedral we can be. To do that, we need to remember that the cathedral belongs as much to the city as to the church, that it is civic space as well as sacred space. Last week, we also looked at the statistics concerning church decline. Different churches have tried different ways to grapple creatively and faithfully with this, Innumerable programs, some wonderful, some thinly disguised gimmicks, all have been meant to create renewal. One way churches have addressed declining attendance and revenue is through amalgamations. There are basically two kinds. One involves sharing a building. So the Anglicans deciding to permanently bunk in with the Uniteds in Richmond West, that's an example of that. Each faith community retains its own identity, but they share building costs like cohabiting, maybe taking in a border. The second pattern involves fusing together two or more congregations. In my own faith tradition, that's the more common model. Many years ago, when I worked for the Presbytery, the regional body, amalgamations were just beginning to become popular. Simply amalgamating, I thought, and occasionally ranted at the time, was not a solution, just a delaying tactic. I'd argue that if you take one small group of tired old people and combine it with one or two other small groups of tired old people, what do you get? A bigger group of tired old people. To be fair, occasionally amalgamations were done with creativity and vision and a deep sense of call. But far too often it was simply easier than any community reconceptualizing itself the way opening out would entail. You see, that way we still get to be with our own cohort, Often enough, that meant older, tired, white people. Oh, it might involve that eventual gentle slide into oblivion that Margaret Atwood talked about, but not for another 10 or 20 years. And by then, well, most of us will be dead anyways. This, of course, is a hidden form of selfishness.
Montreal's Japanese United showed great courage and deep faith. They, like Knox, in those same years were exploring uncharted territories. And even though we've hit on this a bit before in these podcasts, at the risk of boring you with my own repetition, let me identify a few key markers of our initial journey into intentional openness. First, we weren't trying to become intercultural. We'd never even heard that word. We were simply intentionally opening ourselves both to God and to our neighborhood. It's just so happened that our neighborhood 16 years ago was already intercultural, already highly diverse. It was what much of the rest of Canada is now becoming. And so that is what we became as well. Second, the message is about the church belonging to God and the building being both civic space as well as sacred space and the future of Knox belonging as much to the empty spaces between people as to the people actually sitting there. These messages were everywhere. And third, we recognized that we were doing this, this intentional opening out, not out of some charitable feeling or impulse, not out of an effort to help our unfortunate immigrant neighbors, but because we needed them. Without them, we could not be us, not be the us we wanted to be. This became particularly clear a few years later when the Nepali-speaking Bhutanese folks started showing up at Knox. And when I pulled the heavy door, that and it was really heavy. I needed both hands to pull that door. With the arrival of the Bhutanese, I was on one level delighted, but on another I was, well, stumped, flummoxed. There's an old word, flummoxed. They spoke almost no English, and neither I nor anyone I knew spoke Nepali. Plus, they were either very new Christians or folk who were interested in becoming Christian. And in the United Church, we don't meet many like that. Where would you start? Also, I was pretty exhausted. We'd come through a rough patch, and most of our leadership team were about as exhausted as I was. Fortunately, we also had a large group of Filipino members, and they stepped up. They provided great support to the new folk, one-to-one, family-to-family. They ran Bible studies and shared meals. And soon, those who had come so recently as refugees from Nepal made up over one-quarter of the congregation. They were out dancing, shared their youthful energy with the weary, and gave new hope to all of us. Suddenly, it dawned on me. I said to Damber, their faith leader, when the Nepalis came, I thought it was because you needed us. But now I realize you came here because we needed you. Damber just smiled at me and said, Yes, Rev. Yeah. And because they came, we were changed. That last point about being changed about giving up control and so allowing ourselves to be changed. That was the essential step for us at Knox. One of the tools I've created to help congregations who want to become more intentionally open, called Levels of Welcome, grew directly out of that essential step. Before I read through these levels, I I should explain something. You'll find that the word tolerance accompanies approaches at the lower end of the scale. Tolerating difference is a term often used in the media and elsewhere. But in the context of building loving communities, I find it a bit awkward. If I'm going into a loving relationship with someone, I don't want them to simply tolerate me. I want them to appreciate me and vice versa. I want them to notice me for who I am, 
and I want to see them for who they are. And out of that experience, love each other. And so as I read through these levels, I invite you to become aware of your own inner response. With which do you resonate? Which is closest to your own feeling? And if you're involved in a faith community, which do you think is closest to the feelings of that community? At the bottom level is intolerance or unwelcoming. Basically, this is saying, we don't want you or your ways here in our community, our church. It's an attitude of, you don't belong here. As Canadians, most of us think we would never do that. But with increases in social tension or fear, or as economies fail, stress levels rise, and outlooks can change. Next is grudging tolerance. This is saying something like, it's a free country, you can be here. As long as you behave like a Canadian, work hard and assimilate, I'll accept your right to be here. This is a passive acceptance. Implicit in this is, don't ask me to help you. You're on your own here. you got to pull your own weight. Above that is pleasant tolerance. This is saying something like, I or we will be nice and welcoming to you if you behave properly. And basically that means behave like us. This level tolerates difference, but does not celebrate it. I may not like the way you dress. It was fine for back home, but here you should dress like a Canadian. Or the way you pronounce your words. You're going to have to learn to speak properly if you want to be understood here. Or the way you raise your kids. Can't be too permissive letting your kids run around and make noise in the church. Or too strict swatting them on the head. Just be like us. If you do that, we'll tolerate your presence, be pleasant to you, and even be in community with you. It allows for the slow growth of relationship, even friendship, but it does assume there's a Canadian way for newcomers or for Indigenous folk to follow. Conditional welcome goes just a bit further. It says, we'll welcome you into our lives, our community, if you are trying to be Canadian. This goes beyond passive acceptance and offers some actual welcome and also some limited assistance in helping you change, helping you assimilate, helping you become more like us. This stance assumes more of the melting pot vision than the mosaic vision, where the goal is assimilation and integration. While it might allow the newcomer to retain some cultural elements, like food or perhaps the way they dress, it really seeks to minimize these differences. And above that, there's unconditional welcome. This level says, we welcome you just as you are to be a part of our community just as we are. This is a sincere and significant welcome, and it does not require the other to change in order to be part of the group. It assumes a level of personal engagement also from us in the welcoming, a more active approach. Some writers speak about this as radical hospitality. It does assume, however, that welcoming the other into the group will not substantially change the character, the culture, and the ethos of the group itself. A number of resources stop at this level, but I've added a sixth, transformational welcome. This was, in our experience, the critical one. It was at this level that things really began to change for us at Knox. Transformational welcome goes a step further. It says, we welcome you, just as you are, into deep relationship with us, knowing that in the process, we will be changed as well. It releases, in a sense, some of the power of the host, because the host-guest distinction 
evaporates rather quickly. We actively want and welcome your participation in community. We want this so much, even though we know in the process all of us will be changed. It assumes a process of mutual adaptation. The levels of welcome can not only clarify intent for a community, it can actually help our brains a little bit. Remember, we need to help them, our brains, hardwired as they are to resist change and perceive the unknown as a danger. Our fear center can activate without even checking with our reasoning center to see if it agrees. Oh, that reasoning center, it's so slow, can never make up its mind. A tool like this can create communication inside our brains, create new pathways so that the back areas of our brain can relax a bit. We'll look specifically at helping our brains a bit more in the next podcast called Rebooting, and then in even greater detail in Episodes 8 and 9 on Unconscious Bias. When we recognize that we really need those currently outside our faith communities to help us be the us we want to be, our, our, our best us, that allows us to see them for the strengths they bring, the value they add, rather than somehow as church clients, recipients of service. We'll look a bit more deeply at this and the importance of vulnerability in leadership, of lacking strength, lacking answers in Episode 7. That's how the light gets in. I'm grateful to the United Church Foundation for its support for this research and to the United Church Intercultural Ministries and Publishing House for their support. The audio from Montreal Japanese Church is from a United Church film produced by Peter Vinay. Theme music is by Bruce Harding. Until next time then, Jai Machine. Salam. Shalom. Kukiasa. Mishu no Thank you.